What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to Off the Chain, simply the best podcast in crypto. Let's kick this thing off. Andrew Keyes is the co-founder of Consensus Capital and current managing partner at Dharma Capital. In this conversation, we discuss the early days of Consensus, the reason why blockchain technology is ultimately about automation, what Andrew's derivative of the FAT protocol thesis is, and what it is like to live in Puerto Rico. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do as well. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys. Bang, 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 bang. That was four bangs, all for Andrew. He's here. He's got some crazy stories. He's been joking around all morning. Uh, thank you so much for uh, for coming and doing this. Thanks for having me, Pump. Look, he's got big energy. Uh, dude, you are, you're famous. Ugh. You've done a great job. Uh, what's your background? Pre-Ethereum, sure. pre-crypto, pre... So I would say that I spent about 13 years at the intersection of finance and technology, basically a recovering investment banker. Were you like a traffic cop at the intersection? Something like that. Something like that. And, I was, and, and, and you know, to be completely honest with myself, I was treading water. Uh, and I think uh, I found myself, uh, interestingly, at Cardozo Law. Aaron Wright, one of the creators of Open Law, um, was hosting the first ever Ethereum meetup. Um, and it was about two weeks before Ethereum uh, was to do their token sale. And uh, Joseph Lubin, Sam Cassett, uh, Christian Lundquist, uh, kind of early technical leads, uh, you know, iconic. Never heard of any of those guys. Um, they were all in this room with Aaron. And basically, Joe thanked Satoshi for. Uh, creating a way where Alice could send Bob value peer-to-peer, but his position was that uh, we needed business logic, uh, you know, and, and he, he admitted that it was poorly phrased smart contracts, but basically if X happens, then Alice sends Bob value, else failure. That if then else was really the next generation of the technology. And I kind of fell down that rabbit hole from that day and I remember thinking about, you know, why do we need banks? Why do we need the bankers? Short the bankers. Uh, <laughs> and, and um, you know, what are we going to do with all these skyscrapers? Wait, can I tell you a story real quick? Sure. I, I'm, we're going to have too much fun, so I'm going to interrupt whenever I feel like it. Uh, there was that consensus. There was a banker who uh, – I actually don't know who it is, so I can't even call him out. Uh, but I think it was either from Morgan Stanley or uh, Merrill Lynch who was on stage and someone asked him about the long Bitcoin short the bankers mantra. And uh, his response was, that's silly. <laughs> Which I felt vindicated. I was like, if they think it's silly, so that's perfect. You're winning. Yeah. <laughs> All right, keep going. So, so this business logic. So, so, so long story short, um, you know, I, I understood decently architecture of, 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 of blockchain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really, when I started thinking about the concept of smart contracts, I thought this could really revolutionize our financial, social, political operating systems, and you could literally have a decentralized worldwide web. So I was literally the odd man out. Joe, computer science from Princeton. Sam, master's computer science from Johns Hopkins. Christian was PhD in algebraic geometry, and I'm 
business guy. So, 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 so that business yeah, spelled out yeah, or like B I Z business. <laughs> uh, so, so, so basically I volunteered for free, um, initially to work for consensus. Uh, and, 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 and was consensus like a baked out idea at that time? It was, it's still baking. Okay, that's fair. Uh, and, and I mean, basically we were building, uh, tools and software for a protocol that hadn't even launched yep. for an ecosystem that didn't exist. And, and we were really kind of researching and seeing what stuck in the early, early days. And so I, I, I started building out kind of our global business development and marketing strategies from, from kind of early on. And, and really, that was the spring of 2015. And, and mainnet of Ethereum didn't even launch till July 31st of 2015. So basically, mm-hmm. there were about six months where we were kind of getting our acts together. And... Mainnet launched, and everyone was still doing researchy things until I would say about September, October, in my opinion. And 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 I sent out, uh, literally, I was just cold calling banks and and blue chip service providers, and I sent out an email uh, to a Microsoft rep that had blockchain in his LinkedIn. And uh, about a month later, uh, we were able to put a permission flavor of Ethereum on uh, Azure and to basically create the first ever concept of blockchain as a service, Mm -hmm. which has now been downloaded millions of times, which really gave a sandbox for enterprises to learn what this was. All right, so hold on, back back up for a second. Consensus at this point, we're talking, let's call it Q3, Q4, 2015, is how many people, roughly? 20 at most. Okay, 20 people. Uh, you're one of the 20. How many of them are technical versus not? I would say 17. <laughs> All right. So you and the, you're, you're the, I'm not a business. I'm a businessman. <laughs> um, and uh, I got an A minus in computer science in college once. So that's, that was okay. Do you cheat? No, I don't. No, no, that's good. So, right. But it was all technically downhill <laughs> since then. <laughs> all right. That's fair. Um, did, uh, when you're at consensus, are you guys getting paid in ether? Dollars. Uh, we're getting paid. You get a choice. We 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 were getting paid in dollars at that point. Okay, and then that changes at some point, right? No, it changed two dollars. Oh, it changed two dollars. So in the beginning it was ether, and then eventually it became dollars. In the beginning, I just volunteered. I said, "Look, oh, you're, let me prove, oh, you're let, free. Let me let me, pro- let me prove myself." Listen, we we take volunteers here too if, you, uh, <laughs> if you're interested. Uh, all right. So, uh, and what was your purpose of like you're emailing all these banks, and are you just like? Hey man, we're in Brooklyn. What's up? Or? Yeah, well, I mean, basically, what we, we we wanted to do was demonstrate that we could have the same type of user experience of the legacy applications, but in a decentralized peer-to-peer fashion. Okay. And and really, and you had the foundation for them to build all that stuff on right, top of, right? Okay. And and basically, we announced this thing in the Wall Street Journal, and and I'll never forget. It was Marley Gray and I with a Microsoft corporate communications person saying. No, it's not drug money. It's this yeah. is this is the next generation of the database, and then and basically we're a computer company. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> and and uh, and and when everything was said and done, uh, the the this little bit beat post by Paul Vigna, uh shot ether over a dollar. So that was the first time. Shout out, Paul. Yeah. yeah. So so Paul Paul was great, and uh, and we and we created the term blockchain as a service. Got it. And, and that's when it got crazy. And, and from, well, from on. that point. Yeah, but before we get to that, uh, what, Ether, token sale was at what, like 20, 30 cents. 20 cents? Yes, something like that. Um, okay, so shoots over a dollar. Everyone's like, wow, yeah. this is great. 
Uh, little did we know it's going to go to fourteen hundred. <laughs> um, and when you're doing all of this, was Microsoft the first organization to come build something, or was it Microsoft the first? Like they were the first true enterprise, they, but there was other people building on top of it before. Yeah, they, there were other. Everyone was playing with it, and really, okay. it was so early there were no developer tools. Mm-hmm. So basically, we were just building out that infrastructure. Uh, you know, Truffle's first release was in June of that year. Yep. So, so, so it's just hard for people to use, to use the foundation yeah. just because the developer tools weren't even built yet. Yeah. And the 17 or so uh, technical folks at Consensus at that time, they're building those developer tools? Yeah. Okay, got it. So they're like, hey, look, we're going to basically teach people to fish. We're going to give them fishing poles. We're going to do all this stuff and then let them go build all of yeah, it. Well, they started saying, we're going to build the apps. We're going to build, you know, decentralized Uber, but then they're like, how do we even do that without the tools? Mm-hmm. So, you know, they failed fast in, in that regard and then said, well, we got to take a step back and then really build out the tooling, yeah. uh, which is now systemic to the entire ecosystem. Got it. And so uh, you get Microsoft. Yep. The I mean, that's got to be a wild conversation at first. They probably think you're fun. crazy. But you did reach out to somebody who had blockchain in their name. Yeah. What, what were they doing? What was blockchain so, before So Ether? I think they were putting they were putting kind of the, the taglines in their LinkedIn to hope the algorithms would, would connect us, and it did. Oh, interesting. So they were actually looking into it, and they were they were trying to figure, to figure out, out what to yeah, do. Who, who was doing it. Yeah. That's super interesting. Yeah. Um, all right. So after Microsoft, yeah. what are the next couple that, that so, dominoes so, that fall? So then basically, we then had to start demonstrating that this software had utility. Mm-hmm. And uh, James um, actually created a total return swap where basically we used blockchain from AML KYC onboarding to real-time collateral rebalancing to triple entry accounting. So basically we created a 10 minute demonstration and then showed this to every financial institution. Who's James? James Slazis, who ran capital markets at Consensus. Got it. So he was probably one of the other non-techies in the early days. Just for those sitting at home, James is sitting in the room. So that was a jab at Andrew. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, So when you build that, you're basically building a demo, mm-hmm. right, to show people this mm-hmm. is this is kind of a finished product, if you will, right? right. It's, it's a prototype, but this right. is what it can this do. This is what it can do. This and is the art of the possible. Got it. And so when you do that, you then take that demo and you go and you show more organizations. Right. What is the response to that initial it was, prototype? It was, it was very strong. Uh, basically, they were just understanding, you know, we're still going to be needed for liquidity and we'll probably still be needed for advice. But things like audit are going mm-hmm. to become automated. Mm-hmm. You know, the notion of triple entry accounting that or double entry accounting that was created by a monk in the 1600s that if I give wild. you a dollar, yeah, I mean, the fact that this is not automated already uh, is completely wild. And then we started actually going, we started financial institutions, then we started doing other verticals. We built a supply chain for BHP Billiton, which was one of the largest natural resource miners in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so tracking the provenance of the assets. Um, that they dug up in the ground to see if there was oil, uh, which was kind of our first big supply chain use case. Uh, and, and really just starting to attack, where does this make sense? Not all right. blockchainize all the things. Yeah, so you, you said the term automate, and uh, I get a lot of flack for this, but uh, I want your opinion, which is 
all we're talking about here is automation, right? So everyone always asks me, like, what's the secret to raising money from institutions? What's the secret to what convinces people who could care less about the anarchist view of the world sure. to be interested in this stuff? And what I, the way that I talk about it is we need three things for automation to occur. We need digitally native assets, right? The machines don't want the legacy assets uh, that are analog or electronic. In order to have those digitally native assets that are computer files, we need to have some form of accounting that makes sure that you're not duplicating it, right? So digitally native accounting, which is triple entry accounting or mm -hmm. blockchain. Mm -hmm. And we need digitally native contracts so that the machines are actually governed by something that can stand up in a court of law that says that was a legal transaction, this is enforceable, et cetera. So digitally native assets, accounting, contracts, and that just gets us to automation, right? right? What you're talking about is automating, auditing or supply chains, et cetera. That's not that controversial, mm -hmm. right? I think most of the people in the legacy financial world know automation is coming. Mm -hmm. They may think that automation is coming like the supply, you know, the the, um, uh, the car line where the car gets manufactured is gonna get automated by robots, right? Or like the Amazon warehouse, we're gonna take the humans out, we're gonna put robots, right? They forget stock trading's been automated. Right, like, yeah. like you can call it high frequency. You can put whatever tagline you want. It's automation, yeah. right? That's essentially what you're talking about here with this world computer, right? And Ethereum as a protocol is you're using that as the groundwork to just build automated systems that really, when you look at it from a theory perspective, are not complex, right? I mean, the if then else right. statement is like if I do, stood then you the do, test of yeah. time. Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, is that crazy or is that spot on in terms of what? I think that's happening. spot on, okay. but I think I would just add one more aspect to Which that. Which means it wasn't spot on, but go ahead. Uh, is 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 the, the the missing piece to that would be the notion of self-sovereign digital identity. Okay, which explain is, that. Which is really the cornerstone of all of this. So right now you log into Facebook, Twitter, Amazon, eBay, Uber, et al. And, and I would generally say that they all have similarities in that they provide identity reputation, you know, the five stars at mm -hmm. the end of your Uber or your eBay rating or your Airbnb rating, a payment rail, and and then they provide their niche service, but they, they sit, basically sit between us. But in the future, you're going to log into the Pomp browser. You're not going to necessarily log into Google or Firefox or Safari. Um, and that Pomp browser is going to have your identity. It's going to have your reputation. It'll have your canonical persona. Then mm -hmm. it'll have your work persona, your dark persona, your gamer persona, etc. And from that place, you're going to have the same type of user experience that you do with legacy Fang apps, but they're going to be peer-to-peer. Uh, you're going to see instead of Uber taking 35%, those margins are going to get extremely condensed. And what you'll also see is you're going to see this kind of micro transactional mm -hmm. world. More like where, streaming payments you know, types of. AIG could ensure that specific ride where the GPS algorithm takes you from place A to place B with uh, you know, a certain amount of money that's escrowed via smart contract. And, and I think that in addition to all of the automation, the notion of each of us having our own self-sovereign identity, uh, where we can granularly uh, give out information like our blood type or, or our medical records from that, uh, and 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 go in a peer-to-peer -peer fashion, I think is the, really important. And, and so, machines will have that too, and businesses will have that, and and so I think that. And, and so in this world, uh, so 
there's a couple of things here. One, let's talk about the identity piece. Uh, I think we're moving towards the world you're talking about, right? I agree that that's where we're going. Uh, Apple just announced that they're now going to let you sign in with Apple, but Apple will um, put incredibly high friction and in some cases actually restraints on developers being able to access the data unless you permission it, right? So take Facebook login when I go to Facebook uh, or I use Facebook's login system, um, Facebook gets all of that data and then also the developer on the other end gets all of my Facebook data, right? right? Like it, it's like, I, I talk about it like it's like the Panama Canal, just the thing's wide open and you can just take a jet ski right through, right? right. Just go right. wherever you want. Instead, what Apple is trying to do is exactly how the Panama Canal works, right? It's kind of, hey, we can compartmentalize this here and so, okay, you wanna sign in to use that music service, sign in with Apple, and then that music service has to ask you specifically for, can I use your data, here's how I'm gonna use your data, and here's the exact pieces of the data that I'm gonna use. You can say yes or no. Uh, what they also will do is allow you to create, um, it's not a false identity, it's more like a pseudonymous identity. So they'll say, look, you don't have to give this developer your email address. Right. What you can do is you can basically give them a one-time use email address that then will be forwarded to you on the back end, yeah. right? So that you're still receiving the information, but the developer never gets your email address. Yeah. So, so those those directionally where you think we're I, going? I completely okay. agree, and and like th with that, I use like the term of badging. So the, the the analogy I always give if if you have a 21 year old daughter and she goes to a bar, um, she just has to prove that she's 21 years old. She doesn't have to give the bar the bouncer the the address mm -hmm. when she's giving the driver's license. So you're going to have this ability where and she doesn't even have to actually show her. She birthday shouldn't even show cases. her birthday. Yeah. She should have a proof that she is indeed over 21 years old, but not show her birth date, not show her name, not show her address. And we're gonna be able to kind of granularly authenticate and digitize those proofs. Mm -hmm. Got it. Um, all right, so we're heading towards this world. Uh, we get the identity piece figured out. Yep. There's this automation that occurs. Uh, your background um, is at the intersection of technology and finance. I think a lot of people see early signs of automation using blockchains and this triple entry accounting and like supply chain or, you know, and they see the Walmart and like all these things yeah. happening. Yeah. Automation's coming to finance, yeah. right? And, and it's going to come fast and furious in a way that I think a lot of people uh, that are like, oh, the blue collar workers get automated away first. Like, eh, the white collar workers have already been automated away in some cases, right? Sure auditors and yeah i mean just all this stuff. and just again you just go back to the stock market floor right like there's actually been more automation probably at the new york stock exchange than there has been in most warehouses in america right well it is well is how i would think about it that's actually a great tweet when we get done i'm going to tweet that um but, but the way that i think about this is there's two types of automation. So there's what I'll call the actual trading, which is the quants and all the stuff that we know is coming. And then there's like execution, administration, like all the and operational type stuff. Let's just put on the sidelines the execution, administration, operation stuff. You now are getting really interested in the quant side of of how do you take that intersection of technology and these digital assets? What are you doing now? Okay, so you see the high set sure, you up there. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, I have joined uh, Digital Asset Risk Management Advisors, Dharma Capital, as a managing partner, and we believe they they let you be the partner. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, we'll talk to those guys. And <laughs> and and. Uh, 
we believe we're in the equivalent of 1994 if dial-up started in 1996 and there is a essentially a new asset class of what we'd call crypto commodities uh, and and you could derive a little bit of this from the FAP protocols thesis and we believe that this next generation of the web is going to have a stack uh, composed of smart contract fuel, file storage, computation, uh, messaging. Um, you could you put Bitcoin in there as a storage of value protocol. And we're interested in those protocols that are going to serve every application. All right, time out. Hold on. Because people at home aren't uh, nearly as fast as I am, obviously. Um, the FAT protocol thesis mm-hmm. is an idea that in the internet age, um, kind of the web, TCP IP, which is the protocol, there was very little value accrual there, but right. all the applications, right, FANGs, yeah, fang, et cetera, all, yeah. that is where all the value accrued. Right. The, th- the applications built on top of the protocol. Yep. The FAT protocol thesis makes the argument that it is inverted in this new world where yep. all of the value accrues to the protocol and the applications don't have as much value accrual. You essentially are taking that fat protocol thesis with a spin and you're saying what we're saying that we also need to understand and do fundamental research on those fat protocols and then put a alpha generation overlay on top of it okay so you're saying that the fat protocol let's take ethereum as an example ethereum itself is a protocol but you cannot own ethereum Right, it's a decentralized network. Nobody owns right. Ethereum. You can own Ether, which is related, gets confused a lot for the network, but you can't actually own the network. Right. And so what you're making the argument is it's not the protocol itself that has the value accrual. It is the commodity that is associated with the protocol is where the value accrues. Correct. So Ether as the gas yes. is yeah. the value? Exactly. Okay. What other examples are there other than Ether and Ethereum? So I think a, a one that will be coming soon is the interplanetary file system, is the decentralized file storage protocol that we can't own, but we can own Filecoin, which uh, represents a token of bandwidth. Mm-hmm. And and so basically we, we that would be another one that would fit into that Web3 protocol so the, thesis. The- IPFS, Interplanetary File System, system, which sounds like we're going to space, but we're not, is a network for storage, Mm -hmm. right? Basically, it's decentralized storage, Mm -hmm. right? There is a token that is used as bandwidth Mm -hmm. that can be used as a utility. You can buy it. You can Mm -hmm. do all these different things with it. The value doesn't necessarily accrue to IPFS, it accrues to Filecoin, right? And so the thought process here is the FAT protocol thesis is directionally correct in that it is not just the applications built on top that will accrue value. It is actually the protocol, but it's not the protocol itself. It is the commodity associated with the protocol. Protocol, exactly. And then then we add what we call quantitative systematic alpha generation, which is... uh, All right, hold on. What does that mean? Basically, we have... Let's go word by word. Quantitative. quantitative. So we have a risk management overlay where we uh, quantify the risk states and the risk regimes of the assets. And so basically, if something overheats, we go risk off and we'll sell it and then we'll buy it back. So you're just using data and software to look at 
the trading of these liquid assets, so take Filecoin, Ether, whatever yeah. it is, and you say, oh, Ethereum is overbought. Mm-hmm. There is a mathematical probability that it is going to drop in price. Therefore, we should sell. Correct. Right. So just traditional quant-based analysis of a liquid market or asset. That's what you're doing. Yep. So quantitative. Yeah. Second word, systematic. systematic. And, and systematic really is that is that uh, exactly what you just explained, where if we're in a risk regime, there's no emotion there. Mm-hmm. We are selling it based on the risk state. Mm-hmm. Unless there's some gleaming fundamental that we understand that would that would take us out of that position. So the systematic is the, uh, the no Ivy League word. In my world, that's just rules based. Right? Perfect. Yeah, I represent the, uh, the the people who sit at home on their couch and just drink beer, and so we use rules based. Yeah. But quantitative smart people analysis, systematic rules based. Right. So alpha, alpha generation. Yep. So basically, we are we want to outperform hodling. And, uh, and I think that uh, hodling is a great thought, but there are smarter people that are buying your troughs and, and, or, and selling your, 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 your apexes there. And, and basically we believe that we can, using quantitative systematic approach, um, pick those markets. Okay, so let's use an example. Let's take Bitcoin over yep. the last uh, seven, eight months. So Bitcoin bottoms in December, of 2018, mm-hmm. around 3150, 3200, somewhere in there, uh, depending who you ask, you would be able to use the quantitative systematic models. It says, hey, it's pretty un- oversold. Risk, risk on, yeah. We probably should have long exposure here. So you buy, yep. it runs up to $5,000 a Bitcoin. Okay. At that point, the model says, whoa, looks like it's overbought. There's gonna be a drawback, sell. Drops back down to about four thousand. You buy again; it runs up to eight thousand, right? And so all of those kind of uh, daily or, or uh, you know few days uh, volatility, you're essentially trying to buy and sell dips and, and uh, boom um, in kind of the near term. What that would do from a performance standpoint, as far as I understand it, is if I bought Bitcoin at thirty-two hundred dollars and you bought Bitcoin at thirty-two hundred dollars. Your model should, by the time we get to eight thousand dollars, I'm up just the appreciation from thirty two hundred to eight thousand. You're actually up that appreciation plus more that so alpha. A few more bitcoins because of the ability to buy and sell based on price movements. Exactly. Got it. Uh, why isn't anyone else doing this? I'm not sure, uh, but but we're taking a very rigorous fundamental research approach on what those uh, protocols are, and then once we do that, we hand that over our quants and we generate alpha got it uh you could be doing pretty much anything you want in the world why why do this because i think we're in the early days of the next generation of the internet and this is a once in a lifetime opportunity uh and i love it i love the people i love i love the notion of uh, a decentralized world wide web i think that uh intermediaries have interposed themselves in society and extract too much rent and this is going to change everything. So you're doing all this from Puerto Rico. What, uh, what's going on in Puerto Rico? So Puerto Rico is the most tax efficient jurisdiction for a U.S. individual and U.S. corporation. Uh, my aha moment to Puerto Rico was when I learned that every Microsoft Office license, and you think about how many licenses of office in every business, in every home, in every hospital uh, are generated, they 
have the source code to Microsoft Word, Microsoft Excel, mm-hmm. Access, etc., um, sitting in San Juan, and they sell uh, that license from there because of tax-efficient jurisdiction. And uh, we domicile our fund there to also take advantage of tax efficiency. Got it. And then uh, you think this is the future jurisdiction yes, of businesses? Ab- absolutely. Why? I Because they have the ability to create tax incentives for startups, um, unlike anywhere uh, in America. And, and as California and, tax, and, and New York taxes continue to increase, and the salt tax, where uh, you can't deduct local and state taxes uh, from your federal, uh, continue to exacerbate the, the tax inefficiency in the mainland, um, we're seeing a tremendous flocking. It's absolutely booming there. What's it like living there? Like, I've been to Puerto Rico now, I think twice. Uh, and I went to like the old San Juan area. Yeah. I think most people, when they think of Puerto Rico, they think of San Juan, old San Juan. Uh, my understanding is that a lot of people aren't spending time there. They're actually going to other areas on the island. It's, it's a paradise. Uh, I think paradise? Absolutely. It's, it's, <laughs> All right. it's a beautiful Caribbean island. And uh, uh, I spend my time in, in a place called Dorado. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've just broken ground on a Johns Hopkins University Medical Center there. They have great school systems uh, and and really intelligent people um, that have built large businesses and are still building large businesses are domiciling there. And with the future of work, where we can rem- work remotely, why not work from a beautiful beach? And really, I come back up here to New York. I keep a small place in Manhattan, and we go back and forth. The uh, beaches, are they actually nice? Spectacular. Right, just checking. Um, all right, you've been around for a long time. Uh, you have seen the evolution of what is now the second largest crypto asset in space, uh, from the early days to uh, to tens of billions of dollars in market cap. Um, what's next in terms of like where do we go? What, what do you kind of we look at like the macro so of crypto? We're going from proof of concept into production, uh, and and really what we're seeing is the validation of scalability and privacy. So. We, over the last month, or I'd say month and a half, we've seen two major occurrences. One was Society General issuing a bond on the public Ethereum mainnet. That's a financial institution with all their regulatory compliance issuing secure or a security on public Ethereum. Second, big deal. Big deal. Big deal. Yep. Second, uh, we've seen Ernst and Young, one of the largest big fours. Uh, issue Nightfall, which is a zero-knowledge proof layer that resides on top of Ethereum to instill confidentiality and privacy of transactions. The enterprise space is just warming up to public permissionless blockchains. And, And the analogy I always give is there were intranets in the early 90s while internet was growing up. And we're starting to see that chasm cross. Uh, really, there, there's privacy that needs to be improved. So things like what Zuko is doing with Zcash, what we've seen ING, JP Morgan, and now Ernst & Young doing for public Ethereum. Um, there's scalability, so improving our transactional throughput with things like proof of stake, sharding, and then layer two, like state channels and plasma. Uh, and 
as all of those get validated, we're just going to see more transactions uh, go on to the public Ethereum mainnet. And, and I think that that's really an interesting time because we're seeing it happen before our eyes. Can Ethereum last? Absolutely. Like, what I mean by that is uh, institutional investors ask me all the time, uh, well, what about this competitor? What about this smart contract platform? Sure. What about this one, right? Sure. Ethereum was, or is the biggest, right? We'll, we'll put it that way. People will debate me on what is the first. Right. Um, what gives you the confidence that it'll so, so kind I, of persist? So, so I think one is the, the engineering base. Uh, there are more engineers working on this to, to improve it, and it's growing faster than, uh, than anything else in, in the ecosystem. Second are standards. So f- from a kind of a technology historic perspective, Java became J2EE, Java 2 Enterprise Edition, when there were clean web APIs and clean database APIs. And that's when it became the most used software language in the world. And similarly, we're seeing tremendous amounts of standards being built around Ethereum. The token standard, the identity standard, these reputation standards, the EEA protocol standard. And so what that means is that a developer in Mumbai, Paris, New York, or San Francisco um, would have clean standards to use so you don't have to recreate the wheel. So basically that accelerates momentum. So if we have these standards that are being created, we're seeing enterprise using public permissionless, we're seeing uh, the developer growth is astounding. Look, go to Truffle Downloads and you can see it's, it's a vertical on just how many downloads there are. And then the last thing is the conversion of the virtual machine, the Ethereum virtual machine to WebAssembly, which will basically open up the ability to build on Ethereum to all sorts of developers that use anything from C++ to Java, et cetera, rather than just having to use something like Solidity. Got it. What um, What's your biggest fear? Like, it, let's say that 10 years from now, Ethereum doesn't work. It, it fails. So, what's, so, the, what's the most so, likely reason? So, so obviously, I grew up and I believe tremendously in Ethereum, um, but, but I don't think Ethereum uh, is going to be the only thing. I, again, we, we, we are looking at this stack uh, and there are there there are going to be niche use cases. I think that uh, Definity is interesting. I think the parachain concepts of Polkadot and Cosmos are interesting, and I think that you're going to see them somewhat interact with each other. Um, but 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 again, that's essentially the smart contract layer in the stack, and we need file storage, we need encrypted messaging, we need mesh networks. Mm-hmm. So really understanding that kind of how they all interact, and then how do they interact with the other buzzwords. How, does, how do we interact with AI? How do we interact with machine learning? Um, so, so basically, uh, I don't really have fear uh, about the industry. I mean, I think anyone who just lived through the 90% drawdown, uh, we're all a bit stronger now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm just excited. Awesome. Before I finish up, Rapid Fire, most important company in crypto. Consensus. Why? Because no, but you can't say consensus. Well, no, I, I, no, absolutely. Why? Because they built, or we um, built, all of the tooling, all of the education, uh, drove the majority of the Enterprise Ethereum Alliance, which is now the largest open source blockchain initiative on earth, um, and really that was 1.0, and now consensus is going into hyper focus into product. And they are going to bring that same beast mm-hmm. of building out an ecosystem 
into monetizing it. You're, you're, I'm going to put you on the spot as spokesman for uh, consensus right now, unofficial spokesman. Uh, what do you say to all the people who say consensus is screwed and it's over and uh, it's just mass chaos and all the all the negative things that you'd read on the internet? I'd say it's just getting started, and and I think that uh, without consensus, the ecosystem would have been a third of the size that it is now, mm-hmm. and now it's just focusing very heavily on delivering product and. If, if I was able to talk about the things that are under NDA, uh, it, it would just be a completely different conversation. But there's so much great stuff going on with consensus. I just tell them, go, go talk to the people who are there, yeah. right? Um, all right, what, uh, what's the one regulation you would change or improve if you could? What's the one regulation I could change or improve? So I, 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 I would reiterate uh, the understanding of an ontology of tokens. Um, so not all tokens are securities. Uh, and I think Pat Baraducci from the Brooklyn Project did a great job of defining what a consumer utility is versus what a security is, what a commodity is, and really clarifying um, the notion of digital assets not being very pigeonholed and, 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 and really defining which uh, bucket they go in based on their characteristics. Because I think right now the SEC is saying, you know, something is just uh, an unregistered security and we have to really kind of create those fact patterns and, and those ontologies yeah just more clarity yeah got it what uh what's your most controversial thought in crypto if you don't say something controversial i'm gonna call you out so so i would argue that joe lubin has better understanding of computer science and blockchain than any of the other ceos in the space combined so you can take Barry, you can take Novo, you can take Blythe. None of them have a computer science background, and Joe's looking at this from the rudder, throw that in there. Um, he has more understanding of the space in his pinky than all of them combined. What do you, okay, so that's CEOs. If you compare him to Bitcoin core developers, Vitalik, etc., who's got more understanding? So, so that's a that's a good one. So, so Joe's not hands on in building software these days. Um, he's got a big business to run, but uh, so I got a couple hundred employees. <laughs> no big deal. Thousand, yeah. Um, so, so what I would say is that he understands it technically, but uh, he's not developing the software. And 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 I wish that that there was more harmony in the Bitcoin community uh, with respect to Ethereum. Um, you know, we all grew up. Uh, on Bitcoin, and we thank Satoshi, and uh, you know it's kind of sitting on giant shoulders. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, most important book you've ever read? The Creature from Jekyll Island: Why? The History of the Federal Reserve. Why? It, it was a great foreshadowing of kind of what is money, and when you start thinking about this and kind of how we all believe in what money is, um, it was it was a, it was a good one. All right, aliens, real or not? real for the fun of it no come on what, what do you actually believe uh, I, I, there's got to be something out there i mean it, it, we're not just hanging out on this little blue dot uh in a vacuum there there, there are people out there oh there, you think there's like human-like aliens yeah, yeah, oh, so you're not even not like people, oh, yeah. sentient life you're just like no, no, no like, yeah. like two legs two arms Dude, drink, seven drinking legs, a seven beer arms. drinking a beer somewhere something like that yeah all right are we gonna find them before you and i die i hope so no but what do you think i hope so 
right. After we get done uh, building out uh, money for machines, then uh, in automation, we will uh, we'll go look for aliens together. Done. Uh, you get one question to ask me. Only one, though, because you're going to try to break the rules. What question do you have for me? When are you going to start buying Ether? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, what I will say is uh, I do not own any Ether today. Um, the part that has got me much more interested in Ethereum, Ether, etc., is uh, this DeFi stuff. Um and again, I think your description of Ethereum's potential is more in line with what gets me excited around just like automation, right? And this idea that um, there's a lot that can be built on top of it. And uh, I don't disagree with your derivation of the FAT protocol thesis, uh, but I do wonder some of the uh, like the crypto economics, right? So this whole idea, like if you need to use something, price appreciation, et cetera, but I think that there's just value, right? Um, for me, it's less about like what, how high can all of this go and where's the best returns? And it's more about what is the one trade that, and trade, I look at it from like an investment, a, a long-term theory, whatever you want to call that I have the highest conviction in that would have enough upside potential for me to be excited. And it's like Bitcoin, hands down, so far away from everything else that it's like a no-brainer. Uh, what I will say is uh, I'm spending more time looking at Ethereum and the DeFi space. Uh, if I buy Ether, I will let you take credit for asking me this question and being the reason why I buy Ether, but not yet. Can I gift you one? No. <laughs> no, because I don't want you running around saying I gave him the first one. <laughs> All right, well, but I will. But but, but I will. You had the offer. Well, well, here. So, so here here is the one thing that I will say uh, is when I first started mining, I did mine ether. Cool. So the GPUs were uh, were the first thing that we got, not ASICs. Very cool. So fair enough. Um, all right, now uh, now I'm gonna have to be thrown to the wolves of Twitter and the trolls. And they're gonna be like, "Pomp by Ether." Right. So you guys can thank Andrew for that. Um, all right, man. Listen, this is a ton of fun. Uh, we'll have to do this again, and uh, maybe I'll come down to uh, Puerto Rico and uh, you could show me around, and we'll go to the Microsoft office and uh, bang on the door a little bit. Cheers. Hey everyone, Pop here. If you like this episode of Off the Chain and want to help us take crypto to the top of the Apple, Spotify, and other podcast charts, please do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. To review, simply go to the Off the Chain homepage, scroll down until you see the five blank stars. Taking 15 seconds to fill those stars in and leave a quick review goes a long way in helping us take the entire crypto ecosystem to the top of the charts. I appreciate you listening and see you next time on Off the Chain.